Hi, I'm Tammy Potter, and welcome to the Pregnancy Process Podcast, a show designed to help you navigate the hugely transformative journey to motherhood, where you'll hear the unique experience of experts in this area and the incredible stories of women sharing their conception, pregnancy, and postnatal journeys so that you can have a healthier, more informed pregnancy. In today's episode, I talk to Ashley Wilson from Phlox Postpartum. Ashley is a postpartum doula with a background in prenatal yoga, mums and bubs yoga, and Ayurvedic healing. We're going to talk all things the maternal metamorphosis, including the fourth trimester. Ashley will be sharing her thoughts on why in this modern world we need to honour and acknowledge just how important those 12 weeks are along with some tools you can use to help navigate this part of your pregnancy process. So if you aren't sure what a postpartum doula is, what they do, how they can help you or whether this is even something you want to consider including in your postpartum journey, then keep listening because we're going to clear up any misconceptions around the various ways a postpartum doula can help support you during this crucial transition. Ashley, thank you so much for your time today. It's fantastic to have you here with us. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, I see pregnancy as the maternal metamorphosis, and I use this term all of the time. The maternal metamorphosis is really a time to step into a new version of yourself, shed parts of your identity that no longer serve you. And I don't think you can talk about the maternal metamorphosis without talking about matriescence, right? I mean, it's it's essentially the same thing in my eyes it is anyway so from your perspective what do you view matriescence is what is matriescence to you oh tammy you are so right so matriescence is a term that was coined i think it was back in the 70s by a woman called dana raphael and she described it as the process of becoming a mother So it's a word that's used to describe the physical, the psychological, and the emotional changes that women go through during this monumental transformation into motherhood. And so the process can be really intense. And often, not often, but sometimes it's actually misdiagnosed as postpartum depression. And now we are in a time when matrescence is becoming a more well-known word and a more well-known experience and similar to adolescence you don't go from being a child to being an adult you go through this transformation and it takes time and so matrescence is similar in that sense you don't go from not being a mother to just being a mother and having all the tools as soon as your baby's born and so matrescence is part of that transformation and it can be both joyful and really challenging and some of the really challenging parts that surprise most women the loss of your sense of self the shift in identity the shift in your priorities and sometimes part of this experience can feel like a real tug of war internally so part of you is feeling the pull towards your child and wanting to soak them up and care for them and prioritize their needs and then the other part of you is feeling the pull towards what your life was prior to this child being born maybe your work your sense of self your physical appearance your free time being able to prioritize what you want to do when you want to do it and so matrescence encompasses all of that and esther perel has a really great saying She says that having a baby is a psychological revolution that changes our relationship to almost everything and everyone. In a way, it's a rebirth of the mother each time the baby is born. And so I think that's the other really important part to note is that matrescence happens every time you have a baby. So you have been through it once if you've had one baby and then you have another baby and you enter that portal again. And so you're sort of right back there 
going through another shift in identity, more changes to your sense of self, to your priorities, to how you manage your life. And all of that is wrapped up in this term, matrescence. And I think knowing so much more about it now, we are really lucky in a way because there is a word to describe it and a term to help us label what we're going through and therefore be able to talk about it and understand that it's not an isolated experience to just us, that other mothers have gone through this too. And so we're able to talk to them about it. I absolutely agree with all of that. And I guess, what is your perspective on that identity shift that pregnancy, birth and motherhood brings, right? Because it's it's yeah. major. Like I said, I've termed it the maternal metamorphosis and it is mental, emotional and physical. Mm-hmm. And I guess I have my kind of own perspective on this identity shift Mm -hmm. and it is like a shedding of a skin and that I like to view it personally as a time and this is something that I talk about a lot in the pregnancy process and I try to encourage those going through that and those working with me to really look at it as a time to identify the parts of themselves that maybe no longer serve them potentially Mm -hmm. the people that no longer serve them in their lives Mm -hmm. because you know it does bring a shift in in friendships as well Mm -hmm. and I feel if we view it as an opportunity to really step back and view our lives from almost like a third person perspective and really take a proper look at things that you like about yourself, things that you don't like about yourself, things that you want to keep, things that you want to change and actually use it as an opportunity to really grow and evolve as you go through this massive change, then I think that's a way to really embrace it and I personally Mm. think that doing the work internally like doing you know the work Mm. I I think that's a really important part of it all that's my kind of short version because I don't want this to be about my kind of perspectives but that's my shortened version on what my perspective is on the identity shift that pregnancy birth and motherhood brings but I'd really like your perspective on it as well if that's okay Yeah. Look, I would agree with your perspective. I also think that during this identity shift, so much can come up that you're actually not aware of. So there's a couple of tiers of doing the work. So there's the start when you are pregnant, you can start to think about things that you find challenging, what experiences or what situations put a lot of pressure on you and kind of put you into that reacting zone and what enables you to feel like you're making a choice in how you react. And also kind of understanding, I guess, inside your household and with your partner, what kind of things enable you guys to operate smoothly and where you feel like there's tension. And so there's, when you start doing the work when you're pregnant, I would say that's kind of a lot of the foundation of it. And then the part of the identity shift that I think takes a lot of us by surprise is after the baby has arrived, your brain makes room for your mothering skills to develop. And so to enable that to happen, you really zoom in your focus on your mothering skills. And we joke that this is baby brain, but it literally is a change happening in your brain. And so your brain starts to close off to the more male dominant thought processes. And so that's like organization and getting things done and working through your to-do list and all that sort of stuff. And you really start to focus on your more maternal abilities. And that just happens naturally. And it is an evolutionary tool to enable us to thrive in motherhood. And with that process comes part of the identity shift. So you start to change your priorities and you might find that your empathy heightens and you become more aware of supporting other people or how you are supported and so your response changes to I guess some of the ways that you operated in your life before and part of the challenge of that identity shift is that unless you've spoken to people about this 
while you're pregnant, most women don't really know that this is coming. And so you might be someone who's a real A-type personality, you've had a fast-paced career, you love your work, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know how I'm going to, to kind of go back to that life now that I don't even feel like I can remember where my keys are or have I done the grocery shopping? And so I think part of the identity shift that is, it, it is a bit of a muddle, you know, like you will go through it slowly and you will start to shed how you perceived your life before and what's important to you now. And that part of the identity shift, I think, is a real challenge. But I really love how you described it as an opportunity to shed what doesn't serve you, because that's exactly it. You start to see things differently. And perhaps you didn't see something the way that you see it now. And, and now that you've got a baby, you're like, gosh, I don't actually know if that relationship or this setup is serving me the way that I want my family to operate. And yeah, you're exactly right. It's an opportunity to start tuning in to what's working for you and what's not and making those changes. The thing that I think a lot of us struggle with in this shift in identity is the resistance. So we want things to remain the same or we find it really confronting that the way we perceive the world is changing and there's a resistance to that because either we are not aware that it's coming or it just feels really dense in our body and we're not open to letting it move through us and seeing what comes. And so that identity shift, for some people, it can happen quite quickly and you move into that next phase. And for other people, it's really dense and it's quite a chunky experience that can take a long time. And when I say long time, it's like over a year, you're kind of working through all the stuff that's coming up and it impacts everything and it impacts all your relationships. And I think if you haven't done any kind of self-examination before, it can be a really challenging experience to start to allow yourself to sink into that shift. Mm. So do you have any advice for women going through this kind of period to help them ease through that a little bit better, easier? <laughs> yeah. I Yeah. Look, it's so complex, but I would say number one is just having compassion for yourself and what you have been through because your birth in and of itself is going to shape so much of your mothering, mm. uh, even your pregnancy experience. There's so much that happens during, and I'm sure you see it with your clients all the time. They're pregnant and then things start to change. And they're like, I wasn't expecting that, or this isn't going so well, or I'm really ill and I'm just hating this experience. There's just so many different avenues that your pregnancy can take and that shapes part of the experience and then you have your birth and everybody's birth is so unique and it presents challenges that perhaps you weren't expecting and you weren't ready for and so those challenges that you go through in the birth process also start to shape your mothering and particularly if you've had a traumatic birth that really has a big impact on how you then start your motherhood journey you know, a lot of women feel like they're on the back foot when they've had a really traumatic, and it doesn't have to be a big T trauma experience. It can be that things didn't go the way that you thought they would go. And it can plant the seed of self-doubt or it can plant the seed of not being sure of what you're doing. Um, and that can really change and impact the whole journey. And so I would say absolutely start with self-compassion because you've if you've you know first second third time mother you've got a new baby and you're meeting your new self at the same time it's going to be bumpy it's not necessarily a smooth ride so self-compassion is like absolutely number one number two it's communication with your partner or your support people because often they don't understand 
how you're feeling and what you're going through. And so you might be feeling like you're quite isolated or quite alone. And when you haven't communicated how you're feeling to your partner, it's really hard for them to be able to support you. I would certainly go as far as suggesting that you have these conversations before the baby's born, that you ensure your partner knows what matrescence is, that you can share with them about what you're going to go through on a hormonal perspective and what's kind of to come in the first weeks and months of having a baby. So there's kind of the self-compassion part, the connect your support people part into what you're going through. And then the next one would be rest. Like I just cannot express how important rest is for so many parts of postpartum, but to allow yourself to sit with your transformation you just need to rest. You're going to be up all night. Feeding your baby is demand. You know, it's a demanding job. Settling your baby. There's just so much that happens in these early weeks and months that rest needs to be a priority to support you through this transformation. And then also, I I often suggest if you can think about how to make it a ritual or a ceremony or something to acknowledge the rite of passage that you're going through, and that might just be sharing with other mothers what you're going through especially if you're a first-time mom and this is all new to you and you're feeling you know quite confronted by the experience you'll find that when you talk to other people and they share their experience back you're like oh my gosh this is it we're all going through it this is part of I guess the initiation into motherhood and so sharing with other women finding your community even if it's hiring a postpartum doula for example and sharing with them how you're feeling it's so validating when you share something and then you get a share back that's a similar or acknowledging experience to be like yes this is it this is part of the experience of motherhood and part of the experience of humanness to go through this experience Mm -mm. well I mean you know people connect through shared experience right but it was really interesting I think something that you touched on before was the self-doubt that can come up based around your birth experience and how that can plant the seeds of self-doubt going into motherhood and it's really interesting because you also said that being unsure of what you're doing the seeds of doubt can have you feeling like you're not sure about what you're doing or whether you're doing it Mm -hmm. correctly and interestingly I spoke to Rebecca Warren the other day and she mentioned self-efficacy and those who who are more confident in their abilities seem to just fare better overall in terms of their health and all that type of thing. And I just feel like there is such a connectedness in what you're saying and what she's saying in terms of those who are feeling like they can handle it and that have got a handle of handle on things feel like they're going through that transition a little easier Mm. than those who Mm. are doubting themselves you know self-efficacy is a really vital part of the experience and from what I understand there's quite a lot of research going into self-efficacy at the moment and understanding how women who feel more empowered are less likely to experience postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. And it's exactly that. We enter this portal to transition into motherhood. And when you have these seeds of self-doubt, it can become like a bit of a spiral experience. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing it wrong. And then, you know, you start to spiral into looking outwardly for the answers. You get onto the internet You look at all the forums, everybody's got this advice and it's like very easy to forget that you are a unique human and you've got a unique baby and you guys, you're muddling through it together. You don't have to have all the answers. In fact, you probably won't have all the answers, but you're feeling into it and you're feeling into how to do things that will work for you and work for your baby and there's just an absolute plethora of methods. So being able to shut out the noise especially the noise of social media, the kind of shoulds that we all hear about in motherhood and just tune into what feels right for you. You know, there are things that you you can kind of tick the boxes in terms of your baby's gaining weight, they've got wet nappies, 
they're kind of, you know, awake and alert for certain amounts of time during the day. Those are things that you can notice and be like, yep, we're doing that. Everything else, it's like, doesn't doesn't matter. Just tune out that noise and allow yourself to feel into what's right for you guys. Mm. You know, I've got a couple of different points here and then we'll keep moving. But <laughs> it's interesting because I I read something the other day and it was about what you're talking about that if you actually just take time to observe your baby mm-hmm. they, they're, they're telling you what they yes. need they're, they don't come with a guide no they are the guide and I they love that guide. I love That's that so it. much like it's like they don't come with the guide they are the guide and I just mm-hmm. like that in so many like from an esoteric sense I love that you know because they're 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 this being that's arrived in your life as this little guide mm-hmm. to help you go through this change. So I love that from so many different levels. Yeah. And I definitely that's think there's yeah. so many levels to that. So I really love that. And by sitting and tuning and watching your guide, they will guide you almost. They will. Yes. And I love uh, one that. of my um one of my doula mentors always says, you don't watch the clock, watch your baby. They will tell you. They will tell you when they're hungry. They will tell you when they're tired. We're so accustomed to being on a schedule and kind of hitting our goals, so to speak. And if your goal is like, okay, well, I'm going to feed my baby every three and a half hours and they're not at three and a half hours yet and they're hungry, you're like, well, no, but you've already eaten. It's like, you know, it's really hard, I think, for a lot of mothers to kind of come off that platform of hitting your goals and understanding kind of what's next in the daily schedule and surrendering to watching the baby they'll tell you but that's hard like I mean I can imagine for me like from my perspective I I I live my entire life by my schedule it's like Mm. part of being a coach and what I do is everything is scheduled you know Mm. down to like 15 minutes here and there sometimes you know and I've been that way for such a long time that I can imagine and I, I can tell you hands down, I know that I would struggle to literally go into a life with no schedule. I'd be like, oh God, what's going yeah. on? Um, and I really want to ask you about some, uh, we're going to get into the doula stuff, but I think before you do, that damn word should just oh, came yeah. up again. I tell you what, I, I mm-hmm. have one word that I cannot stand and it's part of my principles to try so hard not to use it. And that is the word, but. Mm, okay because it negates everything that came before it. So I try very hard not to use the word but because it's like pretty much everything that comes before it just negates it all. So I try not to use that. And I feel like that word should is going to go in there as well, you know, because it it keeps coming up. It's like that word should. And I don't think we should be doing anything. Like we should want to you know so I think that's going to be another thing I'm like yeah. I'm that because just keeps coming up but let's talk about doulaing so you've mentioned your doula mentor let's talk about what a doula does all of these things because I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings around what a postpartum postpartum doula is or does and mm-hmm. why you would use one yeah and Let's talk about that. (laughs) Okay. So a postpartum doula is, well, a doula is a person who supports somebody else through a transition. And so there are birth doulas, postpartum doulas, there's death doulas, there's all sorts of avenues that a doula can work in. Personally, I work as a postpartum doula. And so my role is to support mothers and families through the transition to motherhood or motherhood again. And so I come as a practical help. I also come as an emotional and mental support and somebody to walk alongside you in this transition to motherhood or motherhood again. I don't come with a medical background I'm not here to advise you on anything medical about your baby or your family. And I also believe that it's really important not to let opinion get too in the way of the support that I offer. So for me, 
it's really important that the mother and the family are allowed the space to feel into their own mothering experience. So that that's really one of my guiding principles is exactly what you said. Don't, it's not about should. It's not about telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing. I, from a kind of emotional perspective, I think it's really important that I'm there to support the mother as she figures out what's working for her and what's not. If, if we talk about how I work, it would be when I am hired by a family, often they hire me for the practical support. So it's cooking, it's changing the linen, it's doing the washing, it's um, dishes, just ticking things off your to-do list, holding the baby so mum can sleep or shower or go for a walk, taking the dogs for a walk. There's so many things. And then what a lot of families find is it's the emotional support that they really benefit from. And so it's having someone to be open and vulnerable with. And it's not my place to share back, or if you share your birth experience, here's mine. You know, it's it's me here to listen to you and how you're feeling. And a lot of parents like to ask, my baby's doing this, what would you think about that? And so... I can give them examples of what works for other families, what they can try when it comes to like feeding or settling, how the day might flow. It's not saying your baby should do this. It's saying, hey, these are some ways that other people do it. This might work for you or you might find that this might work for you or holding the space for them to be able to actually watch the baby because if you're not hanging out the washing, changing the sheets, cooking the dinner, doing all the things, You've actually got time to sit there and watch your baby and understand what they're trying to tell you and also time to rest because when do people rest when they've come home from hospital and they've got a new baby? It's really hard to make time for that. And so a doula is someone who can hold that space for you, allow you to rest, allow you the space to soften into the experience, to slow your day down so that you get the opportunity to tune in to what's going on in your family. Gosh, I think every person, everyone, everyone <laughs> going through this needs a doula by the sounds of it. And I'm sure many, many women would appreciate what you do. And I think this is probably a really good time to talk about the fourth trimester. Mm. And because I think that's really an essential time for any postpartum woman and it's I mean the fourth trimester is part of pregnancy and thankfully this is something that's getting more attention and more understanding around it but I'd really like to hear your view on the fourth trimester and why mm -hmm. in this modern world it's so important that we really give it the attention and understanding mm -hmm deserves yeah so the fourth trimester is the immediate postpartum it's the 12-week period after the birth of the baby and it's a really intense time for mothers and for babies and for families it's the time of the big physical and emotional change so the baby is adjusting to being outside of the womb and mom is adjusting to the new role of mother of this baby and also the fact that you've just gone through a major body event so a couple of things I guess to consider that we don't often think about when we think about postpartum is delivering your baby even if you so even if you have a vaginal birth it can be considered equal to a sports injury when you look at the stress put on the ligaments during the birth of a baby and so a sports injury you probably get an average of six months to recover from and Postpartum women are told six weeks and you'll be back up and off you go. And we're not even really taught or allowed the space to understand the depth of the physical experience. And so if you kind of look at it with that lens, that it's like having a sports injury, the stress and strain that's put on those ligaments to get the baby out. And then we also need to consider that where the placenta was attached there's a dinner plate size wound there. So it's I think it's about 21 centimetres diameter where the placenta was attached. 
And this wound takes at least six weeks to heal. And there's a lot of blood loss that comes with the healing of the wound. And so if you use the perspective of, well, if this wound was outside your body, you would absolutely be on bed rest as that wound healed. And so because it's inside our body, we don't really think of it like that. And so from an Ayurvedic perspective, which is kind of the lens that I use with postpartum care, the view is that you need the time for your body to recover. And they say if you give yourself approximately 42 days to recover, then that sets you up for the next 42 years of your life. And so that kind of is six weeks. And it's about cultivating as much rest and as much nutrient-dense food and as much support as possible to allow you to recover and for your body to heal. And then that sets you up for the opportunity for a really vital and vibrant next 42 years of your life. But we don't often think about it with that lens of it's such a short time compared to what's to come. And so, so many women are like, oh, I'm out and about. Oh, my baby's 10 days old. Look at me. I'm at the park. I'm like, I really want to understand what it is about that concept that makes you feel so good. Do you feel good because you think that people think you should be doing that? Or does that actually make you feel good? And there's quite a big difference. If you being out in nature, you know, maybe you've gone to the park across the street and that makes you feel really good absolutely do that. If it's making you feel vibrant and full of energy, if you're getting out because you think you should and you're feeling depleted and it's mentally and physically a hurdle for you to get through, why would we push ourselves to do this when we've just had a baby? I think celebrating being out and about is a real disservice to women and yeah, it genuinely makes me so sad when I see mums at the supermarket with a tiny newborn in the carrier. I'm like, babes, we have click and collect. We have delivery. Why are you here? It's, you know, there's just, there's so much available to us without hiring someone to support us. There's so much more available to us to enable us to stay rested and it's just so important and I mean even and you would see a lot of women Tammy I'm sure who have a prolapse it's like that prolapse the muscles need time to recover that's like that's literally lying down it's not even sitting on the couch it's lying down with your feet up and so just really honing in on that message of how important the immediate postpartum is for your body's recovery is one of my big kind of goals in life. <laughs> I am definitely one that believes in in honoring the fourth trimester and what honoring just, and what you've just been through yeah. and just letting your body do what it needs to do to heal and let you yeah. get back to it. And I think the he- it's the honoring and it's the healing because mm. The honouring is sort of, I guess, more the spiritual side of it. And then the healing is like, literally, if you had that essentially 20-something centimetre wound on your body, you would be resting. I love that. That's su- that's such a great way of viewing it. And I think every single woman who has just had a baby absolutely needs to hear that, that yeah. internally they have a... 20 centimeter in diameter wound internally that needs to heal and if it was outside of their body like it's like a dinner exactly and also that's a that's a vaginal delivery right assuming Mm -hmm. you've got no tears and everything has gone smoothly Mm. then you layer in any tears or vaginal delivery wounds and then what about the women who've had a cesarean birth and you've literally just had abdominal surgery you know if you went in for a procedure that was abdominal surgery you would be on bed rest for at least six weeks it's crazy isn't it you you did mention the spiritual side Mm. and I'd like to know if you feel that there is a spiritual side to a doula can we talk to that yeah we can my personal 
experience and how I kind of operate in my life is that absolutely there is a spiritual element to it. And I think in my own life, I think that ritual is really important on a daily basis. I think that ritual for motherhood is really important because like this, in my view, we have one human experience and we get to make it as beautiful as we want it to be. And so I think that can happen on a daily basis. And for me, that's turning my face to the sun when I have a coffee in the morning. It is closing my eyes and taking some deep breaths when I feel like I'm kind of in the thick of a tricky experience during the day. Um, it's sitting down and doing a meditation twice a day because I know that that enlivens my spirit and allows me to see things with more compassion and just to hold space for everything that's going on in my own life and in my family's lives and the people that I meet on the street. And so whilst I don't come to a family with any um, intention to share the spiritual aspects with them, if there is an opportunity and an opening, then I absolutely do. And then lots of families yeah, they like, they kind of lean into that a bit more and they're interested in how you can start to make little rituals within your day. And I'm a big believer that self-care is not candles and creams and time. Self-care is like getting your basic needs met, hydration, food, sleep, rest, connection with other people. And then on top of that, I like to build in rituals into your day that are achievable and they don't cost you money. And you can start to feel like even in the chaos that is the first few years of motherhood, I feel like there's beauty in this experience. And on a daily basis, I feel like it just really adds to the experience if you can have that lens within the chaos. I love that because I think, self-care is not actually about going to fancy day spas and taking yourself mm -hmm. away to, uh, to, to like I'm going to try and get this out because this is another thought that I've had recently it's not spending exorbitant amounts no. of money going mm -hmm. to high-end hotels and going to their day spas and having those types of very luxurious experiences and then hashtagging it self-care yeah, and I no, think no. that makes it so unaccessible and unattainable to everybody and I think we actually need to start changing the lens that we view self-care yeah. in. I heard or saw actually someone who I really respect on Instagram reframe it the other day and she reframed it as self-care is in motherhood is more like energy management I'm like that's it it really is because you're giving so much but and you know there's the whole analogy of you can't pour from an empty cup it's like well but who's filling up my cup how does one have a full cup you know and then you see this whole like self-care movement and you're like well I'm not lying in the bath with rose petals and a candle and some kind of nice music going on like my bath's not even clean for one thing. So, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, exactly. It's like how, and I thought that reframe was just so on point to say, to kind of be like self-care and motherhood is like energy management. How am I filling up my cup? How am I giving myself, yeah, the energy and the space for the next half of the day. Because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, that's what it is. It's like, okay, it's hour by hour or it's segmenting the day in half and being like, we're just going to get through the first half and I'm just going to get through the second half. Because in early motherhood, the hill to climb for a whole day can seem quite daunting and overwhelming. And so you chunk it down to segments and then what can I do for myself in that segment so that I can get through? And so, you know, for me, nourishing food is like one of the biggest ones. What are you eating that's going to be nourishing your body so that you can then 
go out and get through that next chunk of the day. Have you had enough water? Are you drinking herbal tea or are you drinking coffee and therefore not drinking water and not eating nourishing food? You're depleting, you know, you're depleting yourself and not allowing yourself that abundant energy from which to serve. And then same, it's like rest, it's important. Can you forego vacuuming and lie down on the couch for 10 minutes, you know? Like I understand that a lot of mums feel like ticking off that to-do list is really important and it, especially for their sense of self and feeling in control. But also when you start to look inwards and you notice where you're operating from, maybe 10 minutes on the couch is going to serve you better. Absolutely, 100%. Now, you've talked about rest and you've talked about that there are things available to us that help us, I guess, create time in our day to have that rest. Mm -hmm. That's maybe not always hiring someone. And this this question is going to have two parts of it because if we're starting to talk about hiring people, I absolutely Mm. want to know if you were considering hiring a postpartum doula, what type of things that you would recommend women look for. Let's start Mm. with that. And then I think we're going to move into after that, I'd like to know what kind of things are available to women that can help them if they aren't in a capacity to hire someone. Yeah, sure. So first of all, if you were looking to hire a postpartum doula, I would suggest that people do a bit of research and understand who is in their local area. And then of those people, you might want to look on their social media, you might want to look on their website, but you know what, just book in a phone call. It Every postpartum doula will offer you a phone call. And so typically I would talk to a pregnant or new mom for around about 20 to 30 minutes. And I want them to get a feel for me and my personality and if I would be the right fit for their family. That's kind of the most important thing. And then it's like understanding what they think they need from their postpartum. So if postpartum support rather. So if they are thinking, I don't like cooking or I really love food and I know I won't have capacity to cook, is a meal service by a postpartum doula going to be a priority for them? Or are they looking for someone who is going to be the right fit to really dig into the emotional support for them? A lot of my clients, I guess they say they're looking for an extra pair of hands which I absolutely bring. And so it's, I change the linen, I do the washing, I can cook for them in their home or I can cook for them in my home, depending on what they are looking for. And we've spoken about rest and I just think rest is so important. And a lot of my clients find it really hard to sleep or lie down during the day. So I like to offer them a foot soak and a foot and leg massage to really just help them settle into their body for 20 minutes and it might be while they're feeding or it might be while the baby's asleep so there's those kind of things that you can look for in a postpartum doula what do they offer and then how would that work for you so those are things that you would talk to them about and I like to outline what I usually do for other clients and then the prospective client can get an understanding of okay well do I think that would work for me or not And then, yeah, you would go ahead and you can book um, a postpartum doula that way. I've also had clients who've booked me as their postpartum doula and then they've also done meal delivery services. So they've had all their kind of nutrient needs met through a postpartum specific meal service. Um, And then I always say as well, you know, do you have someone booked in like a cleaner or do you have childcare if you have got other small children and you're not sure how it's going to work having them with you all the time. There's so many different options. And, you know, a lot of my clients do have their older children there on the days that I'm there. And so sometimes it's if you have older children, can you get a doula who can take those children to the park? Can you all go to the park? How does the second pair of hands work when you've got bigger kids around as well? So, yeah, I would say it's just really important to have a phone call. Don't assume based on what you see online that this person will be the right person for you I think chatting through what you need is really important Mm -hmm. and then for mums who aren't in the financial 
space to hire help, there's quite a few ways that you can go about it. So first of all, like we mentioned, like you mentioned at the beginning of this chat, doing kind of the work to understand more about yourself is going to be number one. And then thinking, okay, well, what's going to bring me joy? And also, what am I worried about? And it's like you it's, you have to get out there with a pen and paper and write these things down. The things that you're going to be worried about, how can we address them? Are they practical things? Is it that you are worried about your keeping on top of your household? Is it that you're worried about your food? What kind of things are practical that you can outsource? And what kind of things are going to require a deeper level of self-inquiry to support you through that the practical things then if you look around and you say okay maybe I don't have a great relationship with my parents or my in-laws but I know they want to help and I know that my mother-in-law is really good at cooking perhaps you can then say to her okay I would really love it if you can help us stock our freezer and maybe you guys can arrange for her to do freezer filling for you or maybe you can arrange for a family member to organize a meal train for you. And so they set it up and connect with other friends and family who can cook for you and drop the food off for you. Maybe you have a friend or a family member who's offered to take your kids when your baby arrives. I, I always say to people, it's really hard to acknowledge an offer of support and to take it on board. But people genuinely would not offer if they didn't mean it. Absolutely. People actually love helping. They get joy out of it. They get value out of it. And by not accepting someone's help, if you change the lens on that, when someone offers you help, by not accepting that help, you're actually taking something away from that person. Mm -hmm. So, and if yes. you change your lens and change the way that you view people offering help, I think when you don't accept it, you're actually taking something away from that person. Yeah. But and away from yourself, right? Yeah, like but then I think you also have to be really okay with accepting help mm. and being okay with asking for help. So there's there's a few different layers there. And oh, I, it's so complex. <laughs> yeah, and I think the first thing when it comes to what you're talking about is actually understanding what your not negotiables are, which comes yeah. back to what you were saying before. So actually really dialing down and understanding what are your not negotiables, things that you absolutely need to do for yourself or whatever that means mm -hmm. for you to be okay going through that period. Yeah. And obviously everyone's got different values. So they're going to be, they're going to see that they're not negotiable. Everyone's not negotiables are going to be different, right? Like mm -hmm. based on my values, I would be, be pretty sure that one of my not negotiables would be to move my body yes. and to meditate, right? Yes. So yes. those are going to be my not negotiables. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's values are different. So their not negotiables are going to be different. So then yeah. figuring out your not negotiables and then asking for help and then being okay yeah. accepting it. So it's I kind of like yeah. so many levels. And as well, I think understanding that most people will offer to help by way of saying, hey, if you need anything, let me know, which can be really hard to then go back and be like, oh, actually, yeah, can you go to the grocery store for me? It's not an easy conversation to have. And so I would say write down the people who you know will I have offered you help or will offer you help. What are their skills? Where do they live? Are they nearby? Are they far away? If you have someone down the road who has offered to help you, you can say to them, hey, I've run out of milk. When you go to the grocery store, can you pick up X, Y, and Z for me? Like, I can guarantee that person will be like, ah, this is so nice to be asked. Yes, I can do that. Same as if you have someone who's offered to cook and you know that they're a really good, well, if you have a friend who is a really good cook, uh, just ask them, would you mind making us a family meal that we can freeze and eat some this week? So it's kind of like identifying who your people are, what their skills are, what they would be comfortable doing, and then utilize that. Some people some clients I know, they've asked a friend or a family member to do their laundry and they've just left it in the laundry basket on the front door 
someone's picked it up, taken it away, washed it, folded it and brought it back, you know. And so there are just so many ways that people can help. If you have older children, can somebody else pick them up from daycare? Can somebody else take them for a couple of hours on the weekend so that you can have some time alone with the baby? So I would say just looking at your support network, who's available to you and what they can do will really help. And then there's also the planning piece. So if you don't feel like you have people you can ask to cook, how can you plan at least to meet your nourishment needs when the baby's born? Maybe it's hiring a chest freezer and doing a lot of food prep and freezing lots of meals. Maybe you can make it something fun and you can have some girlfriends around and you can cook together. Maybe it's if you have a baby shower, instead of having a gift registry and getting 25 onesies, you can have some eskies at the party and ask people to bring a dish that they can freeze that you can then put in your freezer. That's the gift from people as they bring you something they've cooked and you put in the freezer. I guess there's just lots of ways to slice and dice. And I think if you're entering postpartum and you can't afford the support and you're feeling like you're floundering a bit and you follow some postpartum doulas on Instagram or you know some local ones, I would say, and I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like a lot of doulas would be in this position too, just ask. You're welcome to send me a message and be like, hey, look, this is where I'm at. I want to do some planning, but I don't have the funds to hire someone. What would you suggest I do? It's absolutely something that I would respond to with a lot of care because this is someone who is really wanting to give themselves the best possible outcome for having a joyful experience. There's lots of people with lots of knowledge that would like to share it with you if you Mm -hmm. need it. I quite like that. I'm thinking you might not be able to you might not be able to hire a doula for a number of weeks after, but you might be able to hire someone for a certain period of time to sit down mm-hmm. and create a plan with you yeah. and then yeah. and then go through and help you execute it to make sure that, yeah, okay, you might not be there at the end, but then you might be able to have some kind of text support or call support, something, you know, so it may not be in person. Yeah, and lots of um, postpartum doulas do do that. So you can book postpartum planning sessions and you can have sort of text support after as well. It's one of those things, right, it's not a all or nothing Mm. service. Yeah, but I would just, yeah, I would say to people if there's if you're just like, I would like some help, just ask, right, and see. Because the other thing that I often find is I um, tailor packages specifically to people's needs. So often it will be someone's friend has had a baby and they want to gift uh, my support to the friend so we can come up with something specific for that. Or like you said, someone wants help planning, but they don't want or they can't afford the actual in-home support. So we can tailor something to support them, to help them Mm. set themselves up for having a more joyful start to motherhood. Because we know that when mothers can experience joy and mothers are doing really well, the whole family is going to be doing well. And if the family is doing well, the ripple effect goes out into society and just the world has a better chance of doing well when mothers are looked after. So what do you believe creates a joyful fourth trimester experience? I think largely it's choices and support and space. So that is space to rest, space to watch your baby, space to kind of settle into this experience and just be with what comes. I think when there is pressure and expectations and a to-do list as long as your arm. It's very easy to feel like you're flailing and you're you can fall into the trap of the shoulds because you're like, oh, I should be doing this and I should be doing that. I think having space and support enables you to feel joyful and to have, you know, you can have moments of joy at the same time as it being really hard. You can experience these things at the same time. Absolutely. And I think that you can apply that to life in general. And I think Mm. actually 
that is what life is all about, right? Because yeah. life is life is actually about finding the joy in amongst mm. all of the hard parts mm. and understanding that there are always going to be difficult times. And I think that's part of the journey of life is to be able to really feel the joy and yeah. see the joy and experience the joy, even though things mm. are hard. And yeah, I think absolutely. Like, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> and all that, you know, I really think that whole piece about asking for help is so important because mm. let me tell you, when you ask someone for help, and I know when friends ask me for help, like I had a friend recently call me and ask me to watch their apartment while they were away. And mm. I was like, like I, I, it was quite meaningful for it's me. meaningful and it's a human to contact me and say, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going away for a bit. Would you mind looking after my apartment, watching my apartment, keeping an eye on it for me? And mm. I was like, oh, Thanks. Like it actually meant a lot to me that they yes. used me in that way is they're kind of like that I was that level of friend to them that they felt like they could pick up the phone and call me and ask me to do something yeah. like that for them. I was like, yeah. really meaningful. Yeah. yeah. So I thought like definitely. And that's what you also have to remember when you ask people to do things. That's how you asking yeah. them to do things makes them feel. Now, before we sign off, I really have a question that is very important. And that mm. is, What's the one thing that you wish all women knew before they had a baby? I would say I wish all women knew about matrescence and its all-encompassing experience of it because I think to understand and to know a bit about what's coming means that you can plan for it it means that you can ask for the support and it means that you won't be blindsided when you're like, holy heck, I feel out of control. And especially in today's day and age where so many of us feel like we thrive when we are in control and motherhood can be a very out of control experience. I think knowing what matrescence is, understanding that it's going to touch all parts of your life and kind of not, not that I'm saying be prepared for it, but just know that you are going to go through a huge transition. And so things won't be the same, you know, by the end of it. So I think it's just really important that women, yeah, have education on that. Mm-hmm. And where can they find this education? Online, mostly. Okay. You can connect with postpartum doulas you can connect with a movement called mama rising um and that's online and she's got some great workshops um, and i think there's a rise in um there's obviously a lot of birth preparation workshops and there's starting to be postpartum preparation workshops and actually i've got a postpartum preparation workshop coming up in the new year so for anyone who's pregnant they can connect with me and they might find out more about yeah planning so it'll be it'll be like postpartum planning on a group sense so it's kind of more accessible for people to come along and start to understand more about preparing for their fourth trimester i love that that's fantastic yeah, yeah. Kind of like a birth workshop, but for postpartum. <laughs> I love it. Do you know what? Because I tell you, it's interesting because I swear the same themes just keep coming up. And that's, you know, that goddamn word should. Like, what did you call it? The trap of the shoulds. Like, right. So that's one thing. But also, so many people, like, I've even named one of the podcasts, The Birth is the Easy Part, if you yeah. know what I mean. And, yeah. you know, I think so many people get caught up in this, in this, I get it. It's birth is scary. And the more the and so many people have fears around birth, and I totally mm. understand that. So, and I really, really do believe that the more prepared and the more educated you are around it, mm. the better you're going to fare with Absolutely. it. So I get that it's really important to be prepared for that. But I also think it's really, you've got to be prepared for what comes after it. And it's almost like the preparation falls off a cliff almost. Like it's like once yeah. like you get to the uh, birth. and then yeah. <laughs> but there's, so a then- saying, there's a saying that I heard a few years ago. I think 
I heard it from a doula called Birdsong Brooklyn and and they said birth is like the wedding with all the planning and postpartum is like the marriage you don't really think about actually being married and how you're going to navigate marriage that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I really I really like that. That is absolutely unbelievable. Ashley, thank you so much for your time today. It has been I know this conversation's kind of gone <laughs> around around in all different ways, which is kind of how they tend to go. They do, yeah. But it has been, it's been really fabulous. So thank you so much for your My time. And if you're hearing this message, I want to say a huge thank you because it means that you've listened to this entire episode of course if you have any questions about the things that we covered in this episode or want to know more about me or my other projects you can find me on youtube and instagram at the pregnancy process for those currently in their conception or pregnancy journey you can actually apply to join my complimentary but private community the preggy training crew and you'll find my community application and social media links in the episode description. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, I absolutely encourage you to share it with other women just like you. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.